Hey guys. I'm Noel Moran. And I'm Lois Shaw. And this is In Service. Welcome back to another episode of In Service. And today we're talking about self-esteem. Just talking about what self-esteem looks like as teachers, as human beings, and how the Lord created us to fulfill his purpose. Amen. <laughs> oh, we we feel passionate about this one uh, because it's a struggle. And teaching can be a ground of low self-esteem. Absolutely. And I think especially in our last episode, we referenced sort of vaguely the ways in which the Lord equips you to carry out his calling and just the ways mm-hmm. that he's created you. But today we're just going to talk more specifically about what are actual verses and how do they speak into how the Lord has created us and gifted us to carry out his calling. That's good. How would you define self-esteem, Noel? I would say that self-esteem in my own words is having confidence in the ways that the Lord has gifted you and being able to carry yourself with the knowledge of being created uniquely in him. That was great. That's very close to Webster's dictionary, which I just Googled, which says confidence in one's own worth or abilities, self-respect. And of course we know as believers in Jesus, that it is beyond the self and into the person of Christ. Yeah. I think honestly that the confidence that you carry with you is knowing that your life is not about you. Not to say that life shouldn't be taken seriously, but so many things that you can become self-conscious about are just not of utmost priority because your life isn't about you. It's about others and it's about serving others, loving them well and pointing them towards Christ. Proverbs 3.26 says, well, the whole entire proverb is about. It's about trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. Mm, Go for it. That the Lord will be your confidence and will not keep your foot from being caught. I'm going to, be- can I back up and read it in context? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to start in verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit more than gold. Shout out to the Lord for making wisdom a woman. Just appreciate that. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth by understanding. He established the heavens by his knowledge. The deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely. That's good. Securely as opposed to insecurity. And your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and you will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. I just love how it sets up why God is qualified to be our confidence. One, because he is the creator and he's founded everything on wisdom and he has all of the knowledge and understanding and he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy to be our confidence. 
yeah, I think just like what you were saying, when it's setting us up and it's kind of proving the worthiness of God in this situation, um, it caused me to think a little bit about my own life. And I was having a conversation with a student and the student just said something. It was just a lie that she had believed about herself. And there's a question it's saying, like, do you have any proof of that? Or is that just something that your mind is coming up with yourself? And I've asked that of many students who come and talk to me and they'll say kind of these sweeping truths that they believe to be true about themselves. But then I press it and I'm like, well, where do you actually see that being the case? Where is your mind? Like, can you give me tangible examples? And I think the same way about the Lord, like we can't point to a moment in which he hasn't been faithful or he hasn't Mm. proven to be exactly who he said he is. Mm. I mean, the Bible shows story after story after story of moments in which the Lord answers prayers and fulfills promises and proves time and time again that he is who he proves himself to be. And just like this proverb is saying, it's giving all of these examples, but then the whole entire book proves the examples. It's not just saying Mm. sweet words, Mm. but it is grounded in reality. Mm. That's good. I was just thinking as you were talking that there's, there's verse 23 that stuck out to me about how you will walk securely and how common it is to walk insecurely. And I think there's a few different places where the insecurity can stem. So like the one you're just mentioning, Noel, just lies. Insecurity can come just straight up lies that we believe about ourselves. And then in the context of Proverbs 3, insecurity can come from scary situations that we don't feel equipped for. And then thirdly, I think insecurity can come from our own true weaknesses that all can lead to living and walking out of insecurity. And how does the Lord answer all three of those? If our insecurity and low self-esteem is stemming out of just straight up lies that the enemy is planting or um, things that we don't have tangible evidence for, like what you just asked your student, how does God, how has God our confidence in that zone? How does he answer our low self-esteem when it stems from lies? So I think this honestly ties really nicely into another one of our verses uh, which is First Peter 4, 10 and 11, which says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. One of the consistent trends that I see in high schoolers is that the comparison game. And honestly, mm. the comparison game plays into not just high schoolers' lives, but truly anyone's lives. Yeah, um, It's sneakier so, when you get older, but it, it's there. Truly, you like to believe that you've kind of conquered these insecurities, but in reality, they just show up in different forms. But One of the things that I would love for every high schooler to understand is that none of them are the same. Hmm. And especially I would say I've taught elementary, middle and high school, but high school is where I see it the most is everything's changing and you're trying to fit in where, where do you fit in in this, in your variety of spaces in life and what is your role? Hmm. And when they're hit with such pressing questions about their future and about what they want to do after high school, they're constantly trying to figure out like, I don't know, what do I care about? Who am I? What do I want to do? Mm. So in that space, it comes comparison of like, well, what is so-and-so doing? What is the person next to me doing? What are my friends doing? Um, And how do I get there? And then you look at your friends and you see them and you think they're doing it better than you. They're so much more talented. 
So for instance, I teach a creative writing class and I have been trying to get my students in the habit of reading their work aloud, but they all just turned in fictional stories to me. And at the beginning of each class, I've anonymously read aloud somebody's fictional story. And then each of my students have to write feedback on a sticky note and hand it in. They don't know whose story it is that I read aloud. They don't know who they're giving the feedback to, but they need to give honest feedback. And as I've read through the feedback, the number one thing that I've noticed time and again is that the harshest critic is the author of the story. Mm. They are the ones saying, this was a terrible ending. The dialogue didn't make any sense. The ending Mm. was rushed. The characters didn't transition Mm. well. Everyone else is saying, I loved this story. It sounded professional. I thought the characters were really relatable. They're saying Mm. all kinds of positive things. In every single situation, the harshest harshest critic has been the author themselves. Mm. Mm. And we have the exact opposite problem happening with God because Mm. he is the author of our stories and he is the one speaking these truths to us and we are choosing not to believe them and Mm. instead try to think about the worldly examples and let the world tell us who we are. But as it says in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, I'll read the whole thing, but it says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Mm. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Mm. And in that, you're not the one creating the gifts yourself. You're not the one even using the gifts yourself. It's God working through you. Mm -hmm. And that's the Mm -hmm. confidence that you can step forward Mm in. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of the pressure off to remember that what's true is that we have purpose and giftedness from the Lord and he never fails. It's good. It's not useful to focus on the lies. (laughs) No, I was just thinking um, at the end of what you were saying there that I've been observing how people respond to compliments because I'm bad at responding to compliments. And there's some people will be like, no, 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 no. It's you're like, you look beautiful. No, I look terrible. Um, some people respond, um, like they want to just shove off credit somewhere else. Like they don't say you're wrong, but they'll be like, it's because of all these other people. Um, and the people who just can just receive and say, thank you. I, as the one giving the compliment, feel honored and that they agree with what I am noticing in them. Now I say this as someone who is really bad at receiving compliments <laughs> um, because I feel incredibly conflicted internally because of verses in first Peter, like about how it's all from the Lord. And I want to be like, this guy was, I did nothing, but also internally, like really want that positive feedback. Uh, I'm going down a bunny trail now, but I just think it is interesting in Christian culture specifically, how much we wrestle with people calling out good in us and how quick we are to stew and dwell on um, any amount of negative comment from outside or inside regarding our worth. No, that was really well said. I think you did a great job explaining that. (laughs) (laughs) There, that was an example of me not receiving that well. I shook my head and went, nope, no, it's bad, it's bad. It's every single, like, nobody on this podcast sees the faces we make. I know. Well, let's talk specifically about teaching in the classroom of maybe some common lies 
that we could believe about ourselves. I think one lie is that it's up to a lie I believed as a teacher was that it was up to me to reach students. I don't know. I think we can believe a lie that we're the savior and Jesus isn't, (sighs) which isn't maybe low self-esteem. That's maybe an issue of pride, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but they're connected because then we can't live up to it. We can't live up to some of the standards we put on ourselves. And then that creates low self-esteem. Yeah. I actually, when it comes to self-confidence, it's also just tied to so many other things, but I was having a conversation with somebody um, about balance as a teacher, because I also, it's like the savior mentality of you need to fix all of your problems. And as someone who's very action oriented, it's hard for me to leave a situation to, it's hard for me to surrender a situation when I feel like I could be doing something beneficial. Mm. And it's not that I think I'm going to solve everyone's problems, but I feel like I can at least give them tools to fix their own problems. Mm. Because ultimately, I don't want students to rely on me. I want them to rely on the Lord. But I was having a conversation with a counselor and she said something really helpful. And she was like, Noel, you don't hold the tools of life and death. That's not in your hands. And that was powerful for me to hear because I don't. (laughs) And it seems so simple, but you're carrying around that weight and you don't yeah I unintentionally carry around that weight and then it gives me low self-esteem my brain is constantly whizzing with thoughts of like how am I going to fix this situation that ultimately a student may not have even asked me to fix they Mm. may have just told me about it and my action-oriented brain is like fix it goes straight into fixing mode rather than okay like I appreciate you telling me that and I appreciate Mm -hmm. that you felt like this was a safe space what do you think you can do Mm. And I think also as teachers, we can hold that same mentality where it's our job for our students to succeed. And honestly, I've had a lot of conversations with students this year where it's a two-way street. Mm. I can do my very, very best job teaching you and I can try to meet all of your needs and invest in you and care about the lesson and teach it in a variety of ways. But if that student is not willing to put in effort themselves, it's not just on me. It is on me to do my very best job teaching and to do my very best job meeting the needs of my students. And that takes some genuine and authentic self-reflection. Mm. But if those students don't want to learn and they're not mm. willing to activate their brains and to put in the effort themselves, it's going to be a poor outcome. Yeah, I agree. And going off that, I think it's very easy to put our worth and our, our sense of self in things like, are our students all acing our class? Or all my, are my students all really well behaved in my class? Like we put our lies we believe are that our worth is dependent on our classroom management or what our students are learning or like how they score on the AP test or what they say about us. Or like we believe these lies that our identity, both as a teacher and as a child of God and as a human are in, this is very similar to last episode, but in the feedback that we get or in how we feel about our own class. Like if class went really smoothly and everyone behaved and stayed on task and learned with eagerness, I don't think I've ever had a class period like that ever. (laughs) But if it went that way, I would feel so good about myself as a teacher. And, um, and everyone picked up their trash afterwards and no one left any water bottles. I genuinely don't believe that has ever happened. (laughs) But I would then be like, I'm a great teacher because that went so smoothly. 
Um, and that's such shifting sand to build my house on. If I, I actually pass on the rock, sorry, let me just press on with this parable real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I build my house on the rock of my identity is in Christ and what he says about me and in what he achieved on the cross and not in what I have achieved. Then it doesn't move when the wind and waves come. Over to you, Noel. The Bible is the truth that we get to build our house upon and that we get to rest in despite the fact that our feelings may tell us something else. Mm. Our feelings do not determine reality. They no. should not determine reality. And so often we let them. And instead yeah. of making my identity as a teacher depend on how class went, which is the culmination of so many various factors, I get to go into every single day with the confidence knowing that Christ has called me to do this. Hmm. That's good. Okay, great. Okay, let's talk about the low self-esteem that can come from circumstances, not in not low self-esteem that comes like in our own head about lies, but low self-esteem that can stem from the sudden terror mentioned in verse. <laughs> sounds so dramatic. What would be some examples of <laughs> sudden terror? He sounds like freak accidents. Um, so I just, I've been thinking about, um, I don't even remember where it is in first Peter. I was listening to audio Bible on a walk the other day, so I couldn't tell you what the reference is, but it's talking about women. <laughs> it wasn't Proverbs 31, but it said, um, like a godly woman doesn't fear anything that's frightening. And that has been sticking with me that it's not, don't fear the dumb stuff. It's don't fear the stuff that's frightening. There's stuff worth being afraid of. Um, and you can only do that if you have confidence in Christ. And so sometimes low self-esteem, I think, can come from the stuff that's frightening. We maybe aren't experiencing the same kinds of terror that people in Bible times are experiencing. You know, like David was like hiding in caves, afraid for his life, um, which isn't the kind of fear that we have. But I, we have fears that are almost sneakier and that the enemy can then be very strategic with. How can, how does fear affect our confidence and our self-esteem? I feel like I'm a tough person to answer that question because I'm not a naturally fearful person. And I feel like I keep, when I become scared of things, I always think like, what's the worst case scenario? And I'm like, yeah, I can handle that. Because even the worst of the worst case scenarios, like my death and I don't fear death. Okay. So this is good. Cause you're maybe an example of your confidence is in the Lord. <laughs> why are you not fearful noel because i'm eager to be in the presence of jesus hmm. honestly i had a student ask me this week if i died and knew i was going to heaven would i be okay with dying tonight and i said absolutely and i said the sooner i get to be with jesus the better that's good for an alternative perspective i am a very fearful person <laughs> not fear but I worry um and what I keep coming back to is a, when scripture says perfect love drives out fear and it's, it's just interesting to me that the response that God's response is love I don't know that the world would say that love is the opposite of fear or like love is the thing that squashes fear I think we would say like bravery <laughs> yeah, the opposite bravery, courage trust yeah but when I think about I don't, I have such random fears. There's so many fears all day. Um, 
the answer that works is like God's love is perfect. Love drives out fear, which just, it doesn't seem directly related and it doesn't seem like it should work, but that does give me confidence because it's like, whatever, whatever all these things are that you're fearful about, it's not helpful. Like when Jesus calls us out on, when he calls Peter out onto the waves, it would not be helpful for him to address every scary wave. The answer is like, Jesus says, like, look at me, keep your eyes on me, come to me. And then when he looks away is when the wave overwhelms him. And it doesn't seem like Jesus should be the answer to scary ocean waves. It doesn't seem like Jesus should be the answer to all of these specific things I'm fearful of, but looking at the waves, looking at the things I'm afraid of and trying to figure them out and figure out why I shouldn't be afraid of them. And like being very cognitive about it doesn't usually make me feel better. It actually creates pathways in my brain of like, I keep going down, hashing out my fears. And instead, if I just respond to that with God's love is perfect, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, these things aren't even worth being afraid of because the almighty creator of the universe loves me and I can trust that he's my defender and he's my shepherd and none of these, nothing is worth being anxious about. I just, and I think, go ahead. I think it kind of goes back to the point that we made earlier where we can't let our emotions drive us. Mm-hmm. We need to be resting in the foundational truths that we hold in our hearts. Mm. And not to be repetitive to every single episode, but it is the Bible and it is knowing the Bible and it's holding it close to your heart and it's memorizing scripture and it's believing it's truths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing. It comes back to like, what are you centering yourself on? Mm. It's not like, okay, because you're reading the Bible every single morning, you're never going to feel fear again. It's the right. understanding that we are human and we're still going to experience these emotions, mm-hmm. but we are going to, in those moments, we are going to open up our Bibles and remind ourselves of those truths. And we'll be in community with people who can speak life into us mm-hmm. and remind us of those truths. It's what we come back to that we don't yeah. let. It just causes us to spiral and ruin our lives. Yeah. I never actually thought this much before about how like anxiety and fear and self-esteem are tied and the identity. I, so I need to stop measuring it by my fear, my worth by my fear. I want to measure my worth by who Christ is and the confidence I have in him and his perfect love, which like all self-esteem issues has a lot to do with getting my mind off of myself. The key to self-esteem is stop thinking about yourself. (laughs) Truly. When you realize that it's not about you, honestly, when I'm at my worst is when I'm constantly thinking about myself. Me too. Oh, the idol of self is so sneaky. I think it's C.S. Lewis that said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Okay. So this third place where low self-esteem can stem from is when we are imperfect. And even I feel inside of me talking when I'm talking about the things in me that are imperfect or weak or where I need Christ to fill in my gaps. I don't like talking about them because it starts to tank my (laughs) self-esteem. And we're in a culture that's like, no, you're great. You're wonderful. Your flaws make you beautiful. And that never fills those holes for me. The only thing that does is saying great news, 
Christ lived for you. He didn't just die for you. When God looks on us, he sees the perfect life of Christ. Do I really believe that the cross covered everything? Everything. All my imperfections. Every single time I am imperfect in the classroom or just in general as a human. Every mistake, every selfish ambition, every shortcoming, it's covered. I think also the confidence that you can have in your imperfections, which is a weird concept to think about where you're imperfect, but you're confident in that because I think that that is tied to understanding your need for Christ Mm. because we are imperfect. That is where we, if we were perfect, we wouldn't need him. Um, But I think that. Mm. Like boasting all the more in your weakness. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think about the song, How Deep the Father's Love. And it says, I will not boast for anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ. It's also a testament. Like our lives are a living testament to our faith in Christ. And I just think that that's such a cool thing to think Mm. about is how we respond to trials and suffering and joy and who we point it to. Mm. It's just a testament to who our hope is in. And so like being able to, openly acknowledge that you're fearful of something but you're not going to let it overtake you is a testament to where your faith is and that's another way in which you can Mm. stand out in a crowd and while so much of society is telling us to blend in with the crowd we know that as christians we want to stick out and we want people to we want to be reflections of the god we claim to love Mm That seems like a good segue into some action steps. I know that as a kid who could be hearing this and has grown up in the church or an adult who has heard this and growing up in the church, it could be easy to think, okay, great. They're just pointing us back to the Bible and that's what anyone's ever told us to do. But what am I logically supposed to do? Like, how am I logically supposed to train my mind? And I just want to say this that has stuck with me. The Lord changes our desires. He he truly changes their desires. And I've watched him do that time and again in my life. Mm. And he changed the desires of my heart from high school to college and from year to year. He is constantly changing my desires, but that's also something that I am praying for. Mm. And so do not undervalue the Lord's ability to change your desires and to change the natural bend of your heart, because Mm. your heart is going to be bent towards believing the lies of this world. And it takes Mm. work. It takes Mm. genuine effort. It's not just opening up your Bible and reading some words Mm. and moving on with your day. It's opening up your Bible. It's taking the words. It's learning them. It's putting them in your heart. But then it's also about praying that the Lord will help Mm. you really believe what it is saying, because the most unnatural thing for us to do is put our faith in something else, in someone else. And so that is not our natural desires. And our natural desires Mm. are to run away from that. And to believe, as we can see time and again, it's to believe what the world is telling us and what everything around us is telling us. So my action step is ask Lord to change your heart's desire. Perfect. Okay, here's my action step. This has actually been something I've been doing with a friend. Um, that every time you have a moment of low self-esteem, you start to focus on yourself in a negative light, interrupt that by praying for someone else. And you can pick a specific person. You're like, I'm always going to pray for this 
person who I know is also struggling or pray for whoever the Lord puts on your heart. But if you can interrupt your pattern of thinking about yourself in a negative or positive light, just the the idol of self, if you can interrupt that by praying for another person, I think you'll see the Lord begin to free you or praising God, having him just interrupting that and being like, here's what's true about the Lord. If our hearts were designed to love God fully, then loving God is going to bring healing to your heart because it will be doing what it was designed to do. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you feel empowered in the gospel and in the words of the greatest teacher. Go and make disciples.